This week on the show, we're unlocking infrastructure sovereignty with the help of Clara Systems and their arguments uh, against an SAAS or a completely SAAS solution. Uh, first meeting of the FreeBSD Enterprise Working Group and some notes they took there. The HardenBSD August 2023 status report is what we cover. GhostBSD August 2023 donation report. MidnightBSD 3.1 has been released. Uh, there's a new OpenBSD website, issue number 14 available for you and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 527. Reports are in. Recorded on the 26th of, well, still September, 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow, find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hi, I'm your host, Benedict Heuschling. And I'm Jason Tubner. Welcome to this week's episode. We are uh, a little bit, well, under the weather, but we can still record, so no issues there. Um, Jason had a good suggestion earlier before we started that we should, uh, before we go into headlines, talk a little bit about EuroBSDCon that concluded last week, uh, or the week before, more like, and uh, sorry, mixing my, my dates up already. And I was there and a bunch of other people, so that was nice seeing people again. I had the feeling that there were more people than at Vienna, where people are still not sure, you know, masking and all that. Um, that was pretty pretty nice to see. There were uh, the usual format, two days of a Dev Summit or tutorials and two days of conference. And uh, for me personally, I so that was in the historical University of Coimbra, which had a bit of a... Uh, travel to go to so you don't just fly to an airport and then had to take a taxi to a hotel or something so you fly to either porto or lisbon and then take either a um, airport shuttle or in my case it was a train to coimbra b that's the train station and then you're still not there then you need to have a local like half an hour walk or local you know uh, transportation provider <coughs> Uber <coughs> and uh, go to your hotel so that was a bit more involved and on the first night uh, there was a bit of a gathering of folks who were there um, meeting up uh, in some yeah that was more like a an open uh, yeah open space uh, unfortunately there was a live singer next to us that kind of killed our conversations pretty much so we uh, figured out, uh, let's give him money to shut up. But that didn't work well because other people actually wanted to listen to that person. And so, yeah, we got a little bit of food and talked loud to each other, trying to uh, over overcry the music. Um, but on the second day, it was uh, better. So um, that was the uh, first day of EuroBeastiecon. So imagine uh, you're at the, the foot of a of a hill so that was like 85 meters uh and on the top of the hill there's the university and so in the morning you have to uh, climb up there very steep uh you know that was uh, the morning exercise for most people on the second day most people got a cab and <laughs> uh weather was all nice so we had a lucky uh week this um although uh, the, the last two days were a bit rainy um but uh, very beautiful scenery, very beautiful university. Um, and uh, so for me personally, the first day was a full day of teaching my ZFS tutorial, um, whereas other people went to either Kirk's tutorial or we had four parallel tutorials. That was quite nice. And if um, they weren't going to an, a tutorial, they were at the uh, FreeBSD Dev Summit, for example. That was also going on. Uh, unfortunately, I missed the first day where most of the activities were, so I cannot tell you much about it. Um, but maybe we will have reports from people who were there. Was there uh, was there one day or two days of tutorials leading up to the conference? Uh, two days, and the second day had uh, more half-day tutorials, and the first day had more uh, full-day tutorials. So 
that was uh, quite a good mixture so people could uh, for example go one day this tutorial and then the rest uh, on the second day to the dev summit or vice versa so there, there was plenty of choice there i think that was the first time at least in my experience that where they had four parallel tutorials so usually there's Kirk's tutorial and another one, and then the rest is Dev Summit. But this time we had plenty of tutorials and also a couple new tutorial speakers, which was nice. And um, ranging from, um, for example, Dave Cuddlehuber had a nice tutorial about uh, jails and how to set them up and all these things around it. And um, I asked, I also asked around, by the way, uh, for people who are still figuring out, hmm, what should I, what kind of tutorial should I submit to EuroBSDCon, for example? Beehive is apparently very popular. So if someone wants to do a Beehive tutorial, that may draw some crowd. Well, that sounds interesting. Did you, did you get to become a participant in any of the tutorials, or uh, were you just uh, presenting your tutorial and then spent the rest of the time in the Dev Summit? Yeah, that's what I did. The first uh, day was full day tutorial. So I had a three hour morning session where we covered um, basics of, uh, you know, how to create a pool and uh, ZFS data sets on top. And then there was an hour, one hour break where we went to the um, university um, yeah, cafeteria, which was, which had some nice local food. And then in the afternoon, there were another three hours of ZFS uh, with the same folks. And there we continued to do more um, more detailed stuff like how to set uh, compression. Well, that's not too difficult, but for beginners, it was aimed at beginners. Um, even though many of the participants were familiar with ZFS, they just wanted to fill their individual gaps and see what also uh, was available. So we did volumes and um, all these things that uh, might be interesting to you. Compression, of course, and uh, encryption, now that it's available. So that was nice. And then I spent the last hour in the Dev Summit room, but most of the time, uh, the, or the most interesting stuff was probably in the morning sessions uh, of the Dev Summit. So I missed that completely. And the second day uh, was more like a hackathon because we had only a couple of carryover talks that didn't finish on the first day because time uh, scheduling was difficult or people had a lot of local discussions that they didn't want to break up. So they moved some of the talks uh, to the morning session of the uh, second day of Dev Summit. And then the rest of the day was mostly talking individually or working in smaller groups. Uh, yeah, then... Uh, on that night, um, I got sick uh, because apparently they had uh, crushed up the air conditioning too much. So um, that was a bit too much for me. Uh, in the evening, individually, we had a meeting with the foundation and the core team for the people who were there. And that also had some interesting uh, ideas like um, how, you know, what kind of issues we are working on, what kind of issues we can still tackle until the term is over, because next May there's the new core team election. Um, mm -hmm. And so we were figuring out, okay, what are some issues that we still need to uh, or try to finish or hand over it or bring to a state that we can uh, continue it with another team or that someone else can um, provide. And the foundation iterated that they like to support the project and also the core team. So if there's something that we need monetary-wise, um, the foundation is, uh, when we talk to them um, and provide a reasonable um, yeah, suggestion for what kind of things we should let them sponsor, then they are certainly willing to do that. Um, then that's, uh, yeah, since I uh, got sick that night, I spent the next two days of conference and in the um, hotel room watching the live streams, which was also new to me because I never had done that because I've always been there in presence and, uh, had a bunch of, um, interactions with people normally. Um, so that kind of fell flat, um, only local chats. A couple of people were asking, hey, where am I? And uh, did you disappear already? Um, so that was nice and appreciated. So I could follow the conference, but I, you know, didn't uh, uh, go to the talks uh, physically. Luckily, I was uh, well enough on the Monday back to, uh, to travel back again. And I also missed the social event, which apparently was nice from what I got and gathered from people who were there. And yeah, then in the closing session, of course, uh, there's also the reveal where EuroBSDCon will be next year. And the clues were, 
Uh, it's west of here. So we were in Portugal, so we were already quite, hmm, what's uh, western of, uh, you know, Portugal? And the weather would be a bit cooler. And it's surrounded by an ocean. So that kind of limited the uh, available options. So uh, in the end, they revealed that it would be in Dublin, Ireland, which will be certainly interesting to go to. Uh, I've been there a couple of years ago, uh, had very good memories of that. So I definitely look forward to go there next year. Yeah, I'm thinking of penciling that in as well. That's uh, mm. a bit of a hike uh, to get, oh, yeah. get from here to there. <laughs> but um, when I saw the announce, they go, oh, that's a place on my bucket list that I've got to tick off. So uh, why not make it a uh, big event? Yeah, something that may be a bit more closer to you would be that they also announced Asia BSDCon that is going to be in Taiwan next year uh, from March 21st to 24th. So there, I think there's a uh, stop website up already, at least listing the dates. And um, the same format, two days of tutorials, two days of uh, talks. And if you're in the area, then definitely check out Asia BSDCon in Taiwan. So these are all the new conferences that were or uh, that were announced there. And of course, between individual talks and uh, discussions, there were a lot of uh, you know meet and greet going on. And hey, what are you doing now? At which company are you now? Or hey, what are you working on? And so that was kind of nice to see that people are uh, coming back and uh, finding. Uh, new things to work on or continue where they left off. Excellent. Now, is there any indication of when the uh, streams were going to be put up onto YouTube? Uh, I think there will be. So streaming, uh, BSD TV, Patrick McAvoy, great job uh, again. Um, I think there will be, uh, they will take some time to, you know, convert and uh, getting audio mixing correct and all that. Um, but I'm sure they will be available. And once we know, we will let you also know here on the show. And the OpenBSD folks have already uploaded all their talks. They are quite quick usually. And you can find them either on Undeadly Org or some other um, yeah, OpenBSD-related website. Yeah, they have, they sure. have them listed on the OpenBSD website. Just go look for uh, talks. They're all listed mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, then the EuroBeastCon website will probably also list the individual uh, talks that were given. So quite a good lineup of, of talks. Um, I was especially interested in, um, I always call him Hong Kong Michael. Um, he had a, a system developed called XC where he could um, run containers on FreeBSD and import them and export them also to uh, the usual uh, registries. So that was met with uh, interest and he had a couple of demos done in his talk. So once those are available, I guess um, that will draw a bit more attention. He has that up on uh, GitHub already. So people can look at that and maybe contribute their uh, bits and pieces there. Excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah certainly EuroBeastCon, nice uh, experience. My first time catching the conference bug at a conference. Uh, that was a bit unfortunate, but luckily I, I managed uh, and still was able to follow the conference. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yes, from the one from the people that I know that attended the conference, uh, they had a good time as well. Uh, I don't think anybody have, has a bad time at uh, BSD conferences. Mm, yeah, I don't know. It was always already well organized and uh, we we didn't miss much. So as long as people are there that we can talk to and there's uh, like a coffee and, and food in the afternoon, then all is well. So great job, EuroBeastCon folks and uh, everyone else helping out uh, behind or in, <laughs> behind the scenes or in, in, in front. Um, and also, of course, the sponsors uh, who... Uh, made it all possible um, by spending the money. They were they were kind of the, the Modirum folks were like, uh, let's go into a bidding war because they they noted uh, something like I don't want to be uh, saying the wrong number, but they had something like fifteen thousand and two euros, and they wanted to start a bidding war with the other uh, sponsors. Uh, so, but apparently they they didn't catch on. So. Um, but yeah, Modirum also gave a talk about their needs and how they use FreeBSD in their environment. So um, that's certainly interesting from like a vendor perspective. Excellent. 
Yep, that was our brief stunt from EuroBeastCon. Again, if we have more in the future, like talks or individual trip reports, for example, they should also uh, come in sooner or later, then we'll have that on the show as well. Moving into the headlines. First article up is from Clara Systems, Unlocking Infrastructure Sovereignty, Harnessing the Power of Open Source Solutions for Business Flexibility and Cost Effectiveness. A growing dependence on software as a service solutions has raised concerns about vendor lock-in and its consequences for business. In a recent discussion hosted by experts from Clara Inc. and Bell Technology Solutions, the focus was on infrastructure sovereignty and the advantages of adopting open source solutions. Now, I'm just going to stop here just on this one. This is actually a quite a, uh, a big thing and it's getting a lot of traction now, especially in the uh, C-suite and uh, through different executives. Uh, they're finding that the software as a service is actually starting to cost a lot more. Like they went all in on cloud and, you know, it looks easy and upfront to be able to just offload this stuff to somebody else, but they're finding out the the costs. And once you're locked in, that invoice can change at any point in time. And it's, it is becoming a very concerning conversation that uh, IT departments are having with executive and finance people moving forward. So this is a very, very timely uh, reminder in regards to, um, you know, data sovereignty and, and your sovereignty of uh, how your operation runs. Yeah, I read something from the Basecamp folks the other day where they were like, uh, I, you should have paid for your infrastructure X times now or something like the, the stuff you uh, pay for all these online and cloud services, you could the money you spent there, you could have easily used in your own infrastructure. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the emergence of SaaS and vendor lock-in, so SaaS is software as a service and vendor lock-in. Software as a service and reoccurring revenue models have become prevalent, often leading to vendor lock-in. This constrains businesses from seamlessly transitioning to alternative solutions, trapping them and keeping them reliant on their vendors. Regaining or simply maintaining infrastructure sovereignty protects freedom of choice, which in turn eliminates restrictions of vendor lock-in. The advantages of open source infrastructure. Open source infrastructure offers numerous benefits over proprietary software, such as access to the source code for customization and innovation, the ability to audit for security vulnerabilities, flexibility and control over upgrades, improved interoperability, and avoiding the walled garden. Flexibility and support in open source solutions. In the proprietary software world, third-party support generally has limits imposed by lack of access to the source code, whereas open source software can be fully supported by a third-party vendor. This approach allows businesses to select the best support options and ensures that they have multiple vendors to depend on if necessary. Open source infrastructure also provides greater control, flexibility, and adaptability, enabling businesses to tackle challenges of the world of SaaS offerings. With proprietary solutions, businesses are often limited in their ability to customize and modify software to meet their specific needs. The business can configure software, but cannot generally modify it. In contrast, open source software can be expanded and tailored to meet businesses' unique requirements when simply Simple configuration isn't sufficient. Custom appliances and compliance. Leveraging open source technologies to develop custom appliances can result in more cost-effective network security and storage solutions. While compliance challenges may arise when using open source infrastructure, these issues do not necessarily disappear when using vendor services. It is important to note that open source software adapts to accommodate compliance requirements as a critical mass of users form a strong community around the software. Transitioning away from vendor lock-in. The process of migrating away from vendor lock-in can be daunting, emphasizing the importance of timing and identifying the right moment to make the switch is key to a successful migration. To prepare for this eventuality, it is suggested to construct an infrastructure around vendor solutions that can fail over at any point, allowing businesses to transition to open source alternatives without losing critical data or functionality. To reduce the impact of moving away from vendor lock-in, one viable approach is to implement a phase transition. 
rather than making a sudden switch, businesses can gradually introduce open source solutions to their existing infrastructure, allowing employees to become familiar with the new software and the way it works. A phase transition can help minimize disruption and ensure that the new solution is properly integrated into existing workflows, as well as helping to identify any potential issues early on and address them before they become more significant problems. ZFS, an open source storage solution. ZFS, an open source storage solution, offers data mobility and ease of access, which is particularly useful for iterating testing during migrations. It enables cloning and snapshotting to test upgrades or migrations on copy of the production system without consuming additional space, ensuring a smooth, confident migration progress process while minimizing risks. ZFS also streamlines migrating data between clouds through incremental replication. Well, just on that, uh, we actually had uh, a case in the office just recently where uh, there was some work done uh, with inside a FreeBSD jail and uh, they found that they were having issues and they couldn't progress any further and it was because of change a couple of days earlier. So what they decided to do is let's roll back that particular jail back to the known good state and then progress with the whole upgrade pro process. That worked perfectly. Stop the jail, rolled the jail back, started it back up again, exactly how they expected it to be, and then the upgrade progress pro process progressed and they were as happy as rain. So, uh, yeah, that paragraph is spot on and it yeah. works time and time again. <laughs> support and freedom in our open source infrastructure. The idea that proper support is exclusively around from from vendors rather than open source solutions is outdated. Open source infrastructure has matured, offering options for multiple vendors and improved support quality. This freedom is crucial advantage of using open source solutions like ZFS. Historically, proprietary software vendors have had a monopoly on support services, with customers being required to pay a hefty price for any additional support. However, with the rise of open source software, the concept of support has been transformed. The open source community provides an excellent platform for individuals and organizations to collaborate and share knowledge. They often participate in forums, chat rooms and mailing lists, helping each other resolve issues and provide support. This open source support system has created a robust and diverse network of support professionals who can help users solve their problems quickly and efficiently. Cost reduction through owned infrastructure. The benefits of transitioning from cloud services to owned infrastructure for cost reduction can result in a four times cost saving. Although labor can be a significant expense, companies already employing engineers might find it more cost effective to delegate some tasks to their infrastructure. Email server management. There are challenges and benefits of managing email servers. For example, operating your own email server is not recommended due to various issues such as IP reputation and increasingly hostile spam filtering at major providers like Google and Microsoft. However, leveraging open source technologies to build an infrastructure around email servers can provide businesses with greater flexibility and reduce costs associated with compliance of archiving and storage. While managing an email server can be daunting, especially for a small business with limited resources, there are notable advantages to doing so. By utilizing open source software, Businesses can customize their email infrastructure to suit their specific requirements, enhancing the efficiency and security of their email communications. Open source technologies also offer better control and enable businesses to comply with data protection regulations more effectively. Conclusion, an open source path forward. Open source solutions offer businesses a path forward to achieve infrastructure sovereignty enhance flexibility and cost-effective operations. By leveraging open source technologies, companies can avoid the pitfalls, defend the lock-in, create custom solutions, reduce costs, and access a wider variety of support services tailored to their specific needs. Clara support empowers businesses to harness the power of open source software, driving efficiency and promoting transparency. 
With Clara's expert guidance, business can unlock unprecedented potential for growth and innovation. It was uh, that's it's a good article. Uh, email server management was one that picked my mind in that in that article. Uh, do you guys run your own email infrastructure, or have you outsourced that at your organization? Uh, in the university, we in the computer science department for the longest time, we ran our own web server, and the university had like uh, you know the usual Exchange Active Directory services. And then at one point, our dean back then was like. Yeah, there's no benefit of running this on our on our own, right? This the IT department, the central one, can do that much better than we do, right? And we could free some resources uh, that way. So that's what we did, and now we're all in the uh, central uh, mail server, which also gives us like a shared calendar and meeting uh, uh, finding via uh, these tools. So that helps. But essentially, the university is still running your own infrastructure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Likewise, our our organization uh, still runs our own mail infrastructure. Uh, we have the the resources to do that internally. We mm. do use our software as a service for for a few components of that, but not for the core infrastructure. Uh, and we run it on our own uh, on our own network as well. Yeah, there's just just some services that you don't want to give away, and I think email is so. Still, so central. Even though a lot of people are now using more like instant messaging services, that are you can always fall back to the common denominator of having email. And if that is not working, then that is a huge problem. Yeah, well, email is like the first and and utmost uh, federated uh, communication technology that is out there. So you know, uh, a lot of things are becoming unfederated. Uh, email is still the original and still the best. So, you know, a lot of people do fall back to email to be able to make those communications because uh, while it's not a guaranteed medium, it, it certainly gets the message across. Yeah, the truest sense of the meaning. Of course, you have to also, of course, provide updates and all these spam filtering. And there, there needs to be people to take care of this service. But I think it's worthwhile having that. Uh, not giving it away to uh, some outside provider. Okay, um, we stay a little bit on the you know enterprisey side of things today. Um, there has been a FreeBSD Enterprise Working Group, and the FreeBSD Foundation's blog has a recap of that. So I totally missed that, um, and that's probably because I'm not on LinkedIn, but let's go uh, to the uh, beginning of the article. So this working group uh, began because of a long-time FreeBSD user, Michael Osipov, took the time to provide the foundation with detailed notes of where he is hitting limits with FreeBSD. And the next step was to gauge interest, uh, and so they uh, posted a call for interest on LinkedIn, which, is, uh, which has a link on it if people want to uh, check that out, and on Discord. I'm not on both, so that's how I totally missed this. Uh, but I find myself in there what the responses were a little further down. Uh, and the response was great. So 40 people raised their hands to join a working group. And they provided a breakdown of the 40 people by their role. So they have um, enterprise. Huh, no big surprise there. Uh, and then there's uh, OSS dev or dev maintainers. Then there's uh, vendors, a small percentage, but still. And then they have um, SI slash consultant. And in the other column, they listed that a bit more. Uh, they provide more details in there. They have like network engineers, researchers, higher education, users, hobbyists, all kinds of people. But still a good mixture of people that is not too um, a single group minded here. Okay, so getting down to business, a lucky 13 people. Uh, who wrote this article? There's a lot of uh, references to myself included. Uh, not sure, but um, yeah, we can probably guess. Um, they joined the first meeting on the Enterprise Working Group on August 16th, and the recap showed that after the housekeeping, including a reminder of the FreeBSD Code of Conduct, they ratified the Working Group Charter and moved on to the list of gaps. Okay, so uh, the charter um, people can find uh, in the uh, blog post by the foundation. That's probably not too exciting. Uh, the areas for improvement is something that people might find more uh, engaging. The feature on the feature side is Active Directory and Active Directory DNS integration. Kerberos, Samba 4.x. Yeah, I know Samba has been asked for a long time. Uh, Cloud Native, Kubernetes, 
obviously that's the thing you just have to have these days um then there's smbfs 2.0 3.0 driver in the kernel open jdk and ebpf so that's the feature side of the areas to improve and on the infrastructure side they have or want to have layered repo support with pudri or a package a zero trust build or builds reproducible builds we are we have that i think or at least uh, been there once uh, then they want to have enterprise certificate authorities ports automation uh, software bill of materials for freebsd and definitely or definite managers of beehive vm yeah that came up during the dev summit as well like having um, some gui or some web interface to beehive because beehive have plenty of options these days and kind of difficult to have them all in your head and provide them all in the command line so that would be a thing to uh, improve the okay so then in the process they had a nice discussion in a few specific areas like scientific computing uh, which was one of the first points of discussion uh, had to do with the adjacent uh, but they think slightly different scientific computing use case. Uh, they find that this was a great timing because literally earlier in the week they had a call with a long-time FreeBSD user and community member who is trying to improve FreeBSD in this area. And after the call, they connected everyone, the FreeBSD Foundation uh, colleague Joe McGrone, who was also at uh, Coimbra, by the way, uh, also added some ports maintainers working in this area. And if you're interested in helping then let them know and they will connect you with the right folks. So that was already a uh, first good outcome. Then they had Samba as a separate topic. The next discussion had to do with showing up Samba support. Alan Jude mentioned, uh, of course, Alan had to be there. That's good. Uh, yeah, that Clara is working on a special Samba module to go into upstream to allow it to take advantage of the new block reference trees FS feature. Oh, cool. Uh, to get more general upstream support for FreeBSD and Samba, we need to get FreeBSD workers in the Samba CI team or in their system. And the next step there is to seek volunteers for the, from the community to work upstream on FreeBSD support. So if you're interested in that, then please reach out. Uh, then there's Cloud Native. Uh, one attendee commented that of all the topics, Cloud Native is the most important in their view, perhaps more important than all the others combined. Alan brought a new project to the group's attention. That's the one I mentioned earlier, XC. Um, so there's the GitHub URL and Others asked how this relates to RunJ. The Open Container Initiative community is working on FreeBSD support, and some enterprise working group participants have expressed interest in helping. So thank you there. Then there's high-end AI. Well, of course, everyone talks about that these days. And HPC NVIDIA GPU drivers. Um, one participant working at a data center server manufacturer asked about the status of NVIDIA GPU drivers in FreeBSD for an AI or HPC application, such as the NVIDIA H100 or A100. Uh, they added also a couple, yeah, the gaps list, we had it listed already. They just repeat here, eBPF, Zero Trust, Reproducible Builds, and the S-Bombs for FreeBSD, which sounds very uh, boring, um, but it's a thing you need to have these days. Then there's a couple of questions, or there were a couple of questions about configuration management, uh, the usual suspects, Salt Puppet and Ansible, and the foundation lists individual uh, sources where people can find information about Salt on FreeBSD, about Ansible and FreeBSD, or BSD in general, uh, and Puppet. There's a link to the FreeBSD wiki, how to get started with Puppet. And the whole record... Our whole meeting has been recorded and the link is provided by the FreeBSD Foundation so you can rewatch that if you're interested in specific details. And uh, they also provide a Google form if you're interested in this area or want to help, then let them know via this Google form and then they can connect you to the people uh, needing that help. So I think the initiative is good and I hope to see more in that area moving uh, more professionally in uh, the enterprise space with the BSDs. Next up is the news roundup. Uh, moving on to the Harden BSD August 2023 status report uh, from Sean Webb. August was an interesting month. We updated the core networking components, firewall switch cabling to support 2.5 gigabits per second internally. This will enable us to grow to handle additional internal network load. The NICs in the service still need to be updated to 2.5 gigabits. 
but that will come with time. FreeBSD created the Stable 14 branch. Shortly afterward, I followed along and created the Harden 14 Stable Master branch for Harden BSD. We do not have the build infrastructure in place for 14 Stable, but will soon. I need to order new SSD drives to increase capacity on one of the build servers. Afterwards, I will build the necessary VMs. I suspect it'll take another month or so for the Harden 14 Stable Master build VMs to be brought up. Speaking of next month or so, I also plan to move Harden BSD's firewall source tree to 14 Stable in September. In January, I plan to merge the Harden Current Cross DSO CFI branch into Harden Current Master. Between now and then, I need to determine how best to get Dtrace working again with Crossflow DSO CFI. Please let me know if you require to use Dtrace in Harden Current Master. Letting me know the usage patterns will help me best determine my own priorities. So let's get into the source changes. HBSD update was taught how to regenerate the default HTTPS root trust store. Unbound host build in hardened current master was fixed. Two sysctl knobs were hardened, which includes the VFS lookup cap dot dot. Uh, from the old default of one to new of zero, and the VFS lookup cap dot dot non-local from the old default of one to the new value of zero. And the last thing in the source changes was memory permissions transition code was debugged and some fixes committed. There might be one or two more changes needed to fully address this. There was only two changes of note in the ports tree. Update Ports Manager PKG from 1.20.6 and a hardened BSD specific change to FTP call. After getting my research network back online, it appeared that PKG could not resolve .onion addresses anymore. I knew that PKG 1.19.x line could. FreeBSD switched from package from libfetch to libcurl with the 1.20.x line. In March of this year, libcurl introduced code rejecting, with no possibility of override, resolutions of .onion addresses. This means that on my research device running HardenBSD, I could no longer update packages. I reverted the prohibition on Tor Onion services within both the libcurl embedded in the PKG source code, updating the ports management PKG and FTP curl ports. Now that the prohibition is resolving .onion addresses has been removed from package and libcurl, I was able to verify direct access into our infrastructure through our Tor Onion service. So if you have configured Tor as a transparent proxy, you can continue to using curl libcurl like normal on hardened BSD. As a project, we believe everyone should have equal access to resources, placing non-optional arbitrary restrictions in yet another monocultured and unambiguous project harms more than what it helps. We encourage application developers to implement toggles should they deem appropriate. Firefox provides a good example here providing an easy toggle, the network.dns.block.onion option in about.config. The Lalo mirror in the Netherlands stood up a Tor Onion service endpoint for their mirror and the URL is in the show notes. We are grateful to the community for their continued support of Harden BSD. Your contributions, no matter the form in which they come, are noticed and greatly appreciated. Yep, very nice. And so that was from Harden BSD. We also have a Harden BSD 14 stable release available, so you can grab that on the Harden BSD website. Uh, are there some release notes? Yeah, uh, small, but definitely uh, good to know about. Uh, so they have that available on their mirrors, as mentioned, and catching up with their inaugural build and with their build infrastructure limited at 200 megabits per second. Uh, please be considered with bandwidth usage. Uh, you can find the installers and the package builders on installers.hardenbsd.org and uh, hbsd.package-14-stable and so on, hardenbsd.org. That's a long URL to, to read out. Um, yeah. Good to have HardenBSD up to speed with FreeBSD development. Uh, 
And the next is GhostBSD. So first, they have made a August 2023 donation report. So Eric BSD writes this one. And thanks, everyone, for your support and donations. It helps to keep the project infrastructure to build and deliver GhostBSD running. Uh, first, they want to address an error in the January to July 2023 donation report. GhostBSD accumulated 2,474.0 Canadian dollars from donations through PayPal instead of 3,037.0 Canadian dollars. There was a bug in the automation script calculating the donation revenue and the total for the January to July 2023 donation report is 5,781.94 Canadian dollars. Okay, last August, GhostBSD accumulated 945.52 or 52 uh, cents Canadian dollars uh 481.52 canadian dollars was from patreon and 464.0 canadian dollars was from donations through paypal there is um oh 13,272.54 left to accomplish our goal of 20,000 canadian dollars so if you're interested check out ghostbsd what they have to offer and consider a donation uh, by the way, uh, BSD now also has. I, I sorry, I have to make that here. <laughs> BSD now also have a, a tutorial, or not a tutorial. <laughs> One more time, BSD now also has a Patreon channel. It's Patreon.com/BSD now if you want to support this show. Uh, they also have a Ghost BSD announcement. Twenty three point six point zero one ISO is now available. This has been a long time since they have officially released an ISO with all the difficulties and issues they encountered with the new Xorg version and all the NVIDIA drivers. This new ISO is overdue. And so 23.6.01 contains many bug fixes, security fixes, and feature improvements. Uh, they have a long uh, change log below. Plenty of stuff in there, but... Um, in the interest of time, uh, the, the epic ones they list is a boot environment manager UI to create boot environments and activate them. A couple of new features and improvements. Uh, they have video thumbnail support. They added a, uh, or made a or fixed attaching USB memory card readers uh, of a certain type. Uh, they updated the YT-DLP. A couple uh, comments were removed about Telegram and forums and some other things uh, that are good to have. So uh, bug fixes are also a number of them. Uh, a couple are for, for example, NVIDIA GeForce 210 uh, on those uh, particular ones. Black screens, for example, uh, or errors during ports installations. All of these seem to have been fixed. And uh, also the latest security fixes that FreeBSD got are also now in uh, GhostBSD, as well as the ones uh, in ports as well. So. Uh, if you get the latest GhostBSD version, you should be uh, fairly up to speed. And all the links can be found on their website. The links in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Moving on to Midnight BSD 3.1 released with Ravenport's integration. Midnight BSD 3.1 is now available for this desktop-minded FreeBSD forked operating system that aims to be the BSD for everyone with an XFCE-based desktop and focus on ease of use. Midnight BSD 3.1 brings a variety of package updates and bug fixes over Midnight BSD 3.0 that shipped way back in March. For providing more software options on Midnight BSD, Ravenports has been added as the universal package management system for all Unix-like platforms. Ravenports on Midnight BSD 3.1 is now available bootstrapping on AMD 64. Software installed via this third-party system will be placed under slash Raven. The imports package management system for Midnight BSD remains available, while Ravenports is expected to have more updated packages, as well as some unique packages not currently provided by imports. Those unfamiliar with Ravenports can learn more about, about Ravenports at ravenports.com. Midnight, Midnight BSD 3.1 also brings improvements to its own import package manager. There are various hardware updates like Ice Lake support, in the IOAT driver, the I710 device in the IXL driver, and more. Software updates range from SQLite 3.40.1 to Zlib 1.2.13. More, more details can be found on the Midnight BSD website via GitHub. 
Yep, so uh, plenty of good uh, new BSD uh, releases in the wild. So pick your favorite ones or try out new ones. It's also good to see a little bit what's left and right available. I think everybody's uh, been here, busy over the summer period too. Like yeah, with, its, yeah. with the Ghost BSD and Midnight BSD putting stuff out and uh, Hard <laughs> BSD activity. busy. Yeah, everybody's been busy. Mm -hmm. Very well. Uh, OpenBSD also has a new website issue out, number 14. This is on website.puffy.cafe. Very nice URL. Um, uh, featuring, uh, it must be the year of OpenBSD on the desktop. Oh, wow. That's okay. That's a statement. Um, so TLDR is the uh, Wayland is getting in shape. KDE Plasma is getting committed. SoftDebs temporarily disabled. Malloc leak detection. Uh, VMD received Virtio GPU and uses a multi-process model as well as battery charging control. So first they list a couple of current changes. Uh, for example, a major PFSync rewrite is on the horizon. I think we covered this in an earlier episode, so they just uh, reiterate that here. Uh, Wayland and OpenBSD, that is an undeadly article. So each of these are individual articles uh, typically found on Undeadly org or individual CVS commits. Uh, and plenty of good stuff. Interesting new packages they list. So these would also be interested if you're not on OpenBSD. So check those out. For example, GIF encoder written in C, which is CGIF, uh, Bookmarks Manager, or uh, what else is there? Static Web Mail Archive Generator, SMARC, sounds interesting. And HTML queue is like JQ, but for HTML, Okay, <laughs> nice. And oh, the shell tips are also interesting. Uh, know your processes. The PS command can actually provide a lot of information about processes running on your system. Uh, via the man page and the state column, letters are used to indicate some important information about the process. For example, C uh, indicates that the process is running in a change route. Uh, that is BSD specific, of course, uh, or not all Unixes have that, but still it's good to uh, remind yourself about these. Uh, P tells the process has called pledge, but which, uh, but not which promises were used. Okay, A capital U shows the process has called unveil and can't unveil new paths and files anymore. Yeah, this is all very OpenBSD specific, uh, but definitely good to have this in PS output. Lowercase u shows the process has called unveil, but it's not locked. It's most likely an issue with how unveil has been added in the program. And capital X will remind you that you are currently tracing and debugging the process in case you forgot. Okay, in the going further section, they have a couple of, uh, oh, plenty of links actually, to various uh, articles that you may find interesting. Uh, for example, self-hosting PixelFed on OpenBSD, set up your own CalDAV. Uh, we covered this uh, from Celine's uh, blog on dataswamp.org. Uh, plenty of stuff, cloud deployments, Terraform plus Proxmox plus OpenBSD equals love. And plenty of other things. I think we covered a couple of those already, but definitely check out the full list um, for anything we may have forgotten. Uh, they have artworks, of course, very nice. And um, there's a note from the editorial team. So Celine writes, I finally catched up all uh, the backlog I gathered over almost six months. I need to make adjustments to the website framework to make it easier to work with uh, for newer issues. I like to publish like before an issue every two months. I'm still super happy of the website style and format. It looks old school and fits the community in the same sense. Thanks everyone contributing to OpenBSD and its community. And the website is two years old. Oh, nice. What a journey. I'm really proud to see it available in nine different languages. Oh, cool. All the issues aren't translated, but still. Um, she may change the layout a little bit, but otherwise it's good to continue like this. So definitely continue these kinds of efforts and if you're a um, web signee uh, <laughs> an aficionado then let her know about that you like the issue or offer your help if you are um, uh, if you have some time available for this yeah there's a um, lot of reading here so uh, you know there's nothing um, you know for people that have uh, got plenty of time on their heads uh, sit down and uh, go through some of these uh, just some highlights there uh, soft updates, which is soft app in OpenBSD, um, oh, yes. it's uh, disabled uh, now. So even if you've got it configured, so when you uh, reboot, when you've updated into 7.4, when that gets released, 
uh, that won't work for you anymore. So don't uh, rely on the features of soft depth. That's they're doing that for some re-engineering. It has to be disabled uh, so that engineering can be done without being damped over by soft depth. Uh, mm. And the last thing you want to do is being lose, losing your data. So don't, um, <laughs> yeah, just remove it out of your config files um, until further notice. It's not really as good as it used to be. Um, I used to use it, um, but once I saw that notice go up, I stopped using it. Uh, and mm. one thing that was missing there, I'm surprised, is uh, the workaround sec four. Uh, that's I did a lot of testing uh, for David in regards to sec four, and um, it's an interesting bolt-on for IPsec or OpenID. Uh, and you know it uh, provides pretty good performance, low configuration overhead, and um, the ability to do uh, pretty complex hub and spoke type of configuration. So I'm looking forward to that hitting the uh, production releases uh, in 7.4 as well, especially at work. Okay, so maybe we have more about this in the future, or some more detailed article or tutorial, so. maybe. Yeah. Okay. So we have some uh, nuggets in the BSD space uh, called Beastie Bits for you. And uh, first one is ZFS for Dummies, which is a nice, very nicely done um, guide about getting started with FreeBSD. If you have completely uh, slept under a rock these last couple of years, never heard about ZFS, then this is a very good uh, introduction because they have great illustrations. They're even better than mine, I have to say. And I, I was actually tempted to steal some of those for my tutorial, but I, uh, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, but I need to redo my own uh, little pictures that I have. So these look much nicer here in the uh, ZFS for dummies. So it explains what a pool is, how VDEVs fit in there, and how data sets are set up on the pool. It's all very nice, and of course, not just text. They also provide the usual commands that you need to know how to create data sets and pools and all these. Very cool, very detailed, and you can find uh, plenty of other stuff at the sidebars. For example, um, yeah, listing snapshots or comparing snapshots to each other. So all of these are a good introductory uh, section after you've been through this you know much uh, about zfs one thing i really like about this uh, article is the actual pictures uh, the yeah really right yeah yeah it, it makes it a lot easier you know when when you're a real visual person uh, having mm. pictures to explain what the word the text actually means uh, can make it sink in and you know basically commit it to to your brain matter so you never forget it and the yeah. pictures here are uh, well illustrated so yeah take a look at the show notes click the link and uh, have a browse at the article it's uh it's really good mm -hmm. moving on to the nintendo switch subreddit so the switch runs freebsd making it nintendo's first console with a real multitasking operating system so uh, as you are well aware, you need to uh, include the licensing agreement with the software that's included with your product and the FreeBSD kernel, uh, a licensing agreement is there. So it basically breaks it down to the software is provided as is without any express or implied warranty. In no event will the authors be held liable for any damages arising from the use of this software. Permission is granted to anyone to use this software for any purpose, including commercial applications, and to alter it and redistribute it freely subject to the following restrictions. And there's the three-point restrictions there. So mm -hmm. go and uh, have a look at your licensing agreement on your Switch. Yeah, and that makes it actually possible, the license, that it's not uh, so cumbersome to, oh, we need to do a lot of uh, lawyering to get this uh, properly integrated. We can just use this and even make money out of this. And that makes the uh, FreeBSD license in this case, or the BSD license in general, very commercial friendly. I just noticed the date on this uh, subreddit. It's uh, <laughs> seven years ago. So I'm no yeah, doubt well, we're going to get some feedback at feedback.bsdnow.tv <laughs> to tell us that, hey, uh, we already knew that. Um, yes, we do too now. Yeah. Yeah, but the screenshot, I think not a lot of people have seen and because people don't usually go that deep. They just want to play games and not uh, look at uh, licenses. 
next up, uh, there is a posting about KDE on OpenBSD, uh, and that is from the mailing list, uh, OpenBSD-ports. Um, Raphael Sadowski writes, Hi, ports. I'm very happy to write this email. It has really taken us many years to get to this point. I think we have a first version of KDE Plasma, X11 only for now, on OpenBSD. Uh, they worked with it a few days, and many already works out of the box. Cool. I had no dramatic crashes to handle during my daily work. And you can find attached a toggle with the following list of ports. So pretty much anything in KDE Plasma that is part of the desktop or addition to it um, is now ported, apparently. They're not sure already, like to import it and hook it and then keep working on it. Or should we hook it uh, for, uh, for now? If so, to what status we need to achieve? Yeah, there's a bit of discussion going on, but apparently it's in a state that people can use it and it's not crashing. Very good. Next up is a Medium article. Uh, by the way, Planetaires, Kubernetes 1.28.0 for Illuminos, FreeBSD and OpenBSD. So the author of this article, uh, Tony Norman, has uh, written, I've ported the version 1.28.0 of to Illuminos and combined Compile the binaries for FreeBSD and OpenBSD and upload them to GitHub. And he's got the GitHub link there in the show notes. He hasn't tested it yet. He'll wait a week or so, but it's about time to update the home lad to Cilium v1.14 and have some fun with the recent feature additions. So mm -hmm. that's a Kubernetes update for all you Kubernetes fans out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not missing out on that part as well. So um, in that next item, we have a bit more of vintage parts. Uh, so C programming on System 6 which from the VCF Midwest Wi-Fi uh, DA. So uh, they attended the Vintage Computer Festival Midwest 18 and made some things. So apparently they have some video notes in there. It's a, it's a video, you should watch this. Um, but they mention... Uh, the Macintosh Portable, PowerBook 100, Outbound Notebook 2030, PowerBook 180, the StyleWriter 2, Blue SCSI, uh, Subtext 1.0, and many other things. So if you're in the vintage space and want to reminisce about the good old times, then this is a good way to jump back into how programming was done in the systems uh, way back when. Yeah, Joshua wants to have a bit of time on his hands. He's not working too much on the OpenBSD source tree and uh, he's now playing with his vintage stuff. Uh -huh. uh, I, see, I see his uh, posts quite often on Mastodon. And, mm. uh, yeah, you've got um, – he's got some uh, – and the gear that he's got is actually in quite good condition. I'm surprised for the age of it. Uh, I remember mm. seeing a lot of that gear when I was uh, back at high school. So, you know, the old uh, Apple first – run of Macintoshes and things like that. They, you know, uh -huh. they came out in the mid eighties and uh, they'd be pushing. What's that getting close to 40 years. So uh, they've certainly uh, held their own and uh, for the screens not to flicker and actually start up. It's uh, quite good vintage gear there. Uh -huh. well, they are in good shape. Uh, so that's pretty much we have. Uh, all for you this week uh, we have feedback and questions for you but we still need to you know figure them out a little bit more or sort and uh, you know bring them in the right order and we will definitely have them in future episodes uh, not this time uh, because we're already quite full in this episode already uh, if you like to give us some feedback or provide show notes ideas topics uh, articles you found or written yourself then uh, feedback at bsdnow.tv is the address where you should send this to and then it will likely appear in a future episode uh, we also have uh, a uh, telegram channel now which is t.me slash bsdnow if you want to reach uh, the show or other listeners uh, this way so um, another way to reach us uh, not during the recordings but still it's another channel we have open now for you Thank you all for joining us on this episode of BSD Now. Uh, looking forward to seeing you next time. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups. And Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud. 
so that only you have the ability to read your data. TarSnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated so that bandwidth can be saved. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks, encrypts them with your local private key that never leaves your system, and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone is able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. TarSnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use TarSnap. TarSnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. TarSnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure that it does what we say it does. TarSnap also does bug bounties if you find errors in the code. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more.